Good morning, church. Shall we pray? Short prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. May God open your heaven to reach our soul by enlightening us through your living word. Oh God. My, my sisters and brothers, open their heart. Receive your anointing in order to understand what you're going to say to us today. May the voice, oh hallelujah, hallelujah. And the Spirit of the Lord is telling me there's some people who actually came here with a lot of burden to the point that you couldn't be able to listen to the word of God. In Jesus' mighty name, may the joy of the Lord turn your tears into joy. Oh my God. And I see Oh my God, the joy of the Holy Spirit is coming down like rain upon the congregation. Those who have come to this place thinking and praying, who can save me from this? How can I solve this? How can I address this? And the Lord is telling me, put your burden upon the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we break every yoke because you already, oh hallelujah, broken our yoke. May their burden be lifted up in Jesus' name. May your word be a light unto our path. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, today I'm going to share with you uh, from the Word of God. If you want to give uh, a title for my sermon, uh, it's about a pleasure of God. A pleasure of God. Um, you know, it's a very common human experience that I wouldn't explain a lot about it, but I'm going to show you how it's been fared. Uh, by many people, uh, including scientists and common and ordinary people like you and me. Uh, there are two basic scientific definitions that I have found for the word pleasure. And one is hedonism. It is a life philosophy satisfying one's own desire is the highest good of human life. The other definition is eudonia. Uh, this word is first coined by Aristotle, though. It is an internal state of happiness or human flourishing. That's how they describe happiness. Um, you know, happiness being a very common experience for every one of us, literally on daily basis, we have our own view about it anyway. 
So as some Christian scholars said, we used to think in terms of right and wrong whenever we do something or not. But now this has been totally changed and we're thinking, does it maximize pleasure and minimize pain? As how we are fearing every judgment of ours, especially psychologists tend to reduce every human behavior is designed in such a way to maximize pleasure and to minimize pain. So the topic that I'm talking today is not far from us, except we don't understand the right source of pleasure, the right source of happiness. You know, um, the scripture that I'm going to be bathing myself is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter two. You can read it the entire chapter so that you may get the gist of the entire message. You know, both scientific studies and human experience have identified three sources of human pleasures. One is sex, and the other is food and drink, and the third one is rest, intellectual pursuit, music and entertainment, and finally, material possession. I'll emphasize about material possession because it actually gives you an access for all. You know, if you just Google, you find these three, I mean, these six source of human happiness. You know. In trying to find if these things actually really work, Without, with, without us actually getting into it, Solomon had done an amazing job for every one of us before we make any experiment about them. You know, Solomon one day wants to pursue happiness. So he started the journey in chapter 2, verse 1. Just to save time, I'm going to tell you actually how much he experienced all these things and if he could find actually the kind of happiness that he promised himself that he would find if he's meant to be doing all these kind of things. You know, if you just think of music and entertainment, he had actually was making a party every day and he kind of had uh, choirs, you know, musicians. He was trying to prove that he could be happy if he just have to, uh, if he just meant to have more sex with a greater number of women, with one thousand women. Yes, we tried that. And it's up there. He was a man of wisdom, and he was pursuing knowledge with everything he could. Yet, this thing wouldn't deliver the kind of, you know, expectations that he had that they would bring. He even explicitly told us, I happen to be a richest person 
or a rich person more than anyone else before me. He was referring to kings. And in the final analysis, you know, there is nothing that makes a person happy if he enjoy, I mean, the result of his labor. I mean, eating and drinking. It couldn't deliver the promise that it had. Oh my goodness. He literally experienced it in one chapter. All these things. Yes. For him, it was like going through a rabbit hole. You know, a rabbit hole, when you try to reach a destination, but you are taking still another turn, whereby you can't be able to reach. And finally, he described his endeavor with one amazing term. You know what, guys? He said, it's just like chasing a wind. Oh my God, he's destroying our philosophy. Because we are hoping that we'll be happy or happier if we're going to having it more, having it more, having it more. Happily, as I told you last time, our brain works based on the law of diminishing returns. If you try to get the same kind of happiness by doing something, you wouldn't get it. You have to add more. But that thing itself would only create greed, no satisfaction. So he was puzzled. And he said, you know, it's nothing. It's futile to pursue you try to be happy by having these things and nothing, nothingness, profitless. Oh my God. Let me show you the essence of, you know, what chasing the wind is. How many of you know a wind exists? How many of you know that? Clever people, prove it for me. Except that you can't say, well, I know wind because it moves things. Don't say that. That was the fourth graders intellect. Don't tell me that. Except that, do you have anything to prove that? Anything else? Oh my God. He's trashing down every philosophical reflection that we could have about all these things. Remember, we kill each other. We do everything, even on this world, in order to get these things. And Solomon is saying to us, do not waste your life. Do not waste your time. It's just like chasing a wind. If you have to chase something, you have to catch it. Who can catch a wind? If you are making these things as a source of happiness and chasing them, what you're trying to do is your very existence is in trouble. Because you're trying to chase something that you can't catch. Yes. Look our country. Look the world that we're living in. Kinds of dreams more than this one. The ones that we're talking about. Oh my God. Chasing a wind is such a disastrous endeavor because... You don't know when it turns. Yes. 
You can't catch it. Solomon, such a great philosopher, showed us a lot. You know, those who are cultured by American culture or those who grow up in a typical American culture, and there is a, a term called a pursuit of happiness, like a pursuit of liberty and so and so on. And everybody actually dreams to get somewhere in life. And by accumulating those things that are promised by capitalism and other postmodern orientations, they think that they can reach the peak of happiness. But Solomon told us long time ago, except time we couldn't be able to it. So we chase, we chase and chase and chase without reaching it. You know. So hedonism, as you all know it, it is more of sensual, something that has to be, uh, something that has to be with what is happening to you or not happening to you. And scientists try to, because it is a human quest, literally from the immemorial past, you know, it just happened to be a constant scientific inquiry that people are coining other terms and trying to work in the way they can in order to maximize human happiness. And so they get, they get a bit clouded. I think chasing happiness will not help us because you know, happiness must be a result of following something. So do not pursue, they say, rather ensue, which means it must be, your focus must be changed, they say. But the thing is, they couldn't discover where to focus. They say it is internal, but I cannot be a source of my own happiness. Had it not been the case that I, would have, I wouldn't have been the victim of my own mood. How many swings are how many mood swings are you experiencing on daily basis? And you know it. You know it. You don't need a preacher to, for you to, I mean, to understand that. So they, they couldn't have the answer. Where do we focus? Where are, where are we going to be putting our focus on so that we may constantly have that joy? that never be subject to our mood swing, never subject to the lives that we are experiencing, never subject to the situation that we are in. We have reached in one of the highest era of technological advancement in every regard. But our depression is getting higher, higher not just in Africa, in the most affluent nations like Europe and America. If you ask how the suicide rate is increasing, it's like crazy. So they are chasing the wind. Which Solomon told us literally 2,000 years ago. Yeah, it's for you. Because we couldn't substantiate happiness yet. <laughs> we couldn't. They couldn't. No scientist can tell you. Yes, they could give us a drug. They call it mood stabilizer. But that also needs further stabilization because you're going to be mood dependent. That's why 
pharmaceutics industry is getting higher and higher and getting richer and richer. Because if you take this medicine, they promise you, if you take the next one, it will increase. Your mood will increase. You will be really happier. And you, you're chasing the wind and you buy. Yet again, you are depressed. Yes. We keep on investing. Even Solomon dared to say, I didn't restrain myself from getting what I wanted. Except that I didn't get the promise that he gave me in the beginning. Yeah. Why are we happening like this? Because God never designed us for us to be like this. Yes. Somebody said, if you really know about the product, ask the manufacturer. <laughs> no product can tell another product how to function in life. That's our problem. We are consulting other product about another product. Who can tell you the product of Mercedes company except Mercedes company itself? Who can tell you about the, the Toyota product except the Toyota company itself? And you may ask me, who are you to tell us about us? I'm not telling you, I'm the authorized dealer of this word. Yes. Have you seen, you know, a word called authorized dealer? Authorized dealer is someone who is given authority by the author to speak in his behalf. I am sent by the Lord to tell you about you from him because he gave me the authority to do so. And don't consult another product. And the user cannot tell about the product. That's a problem. We are chasing the wind. All the best-selling books in the, in the self-help, seven secrets that makes people happy. An amazingly transforming, life transforming, that could give you a joy that is ever flowing. We are depressed even before we finish the book. Yes. You cannot tell me about reading books because I read a lot. But it's not to depend on them. I depend on God. I can only use my mind. So are we chasing the wind? So God is telling us, you're not designed in such a way. You are designed in such a way to function in the best way possible. When you take a joy from me, when you depend on the pleasure of God, the pleasure of God, being happy in God. Solomon didn't just show us his disappointment. He also showed us the way through his frustration and disappointment. Yeah. You know, Ecclesiastes verse 2 to 
I mean chapter 2 verse 24 and 25. Um, if God can't give you the ability to enjoy food and drink, you cannot even enjoy it, he says. Yes. We think, I was telling them for the, in the other session, you know, food, food and drink happens to be um, an important aspect of our life because our livelihood is totally dependent on it, right? At the same time, the temptation to eat has been generational because our forefathers, Adam and Eve, actually failed as a result of that. So it is already in our DNA, right? And at the same time, our livelihood is totally dependent on it. And it was his last try that actually gave him an amazing wisdom that could actually, we also can benefit from. No one can enjoy even eating and drinking unless God give him so. Unless God give him the joy to eat. The joy uh, to enjoy. The joy to enjoy. You think it is natural? Because we've been doing it for a, a very long time. You know, one of the things that I have learned as a Christian is that we take so many things for granted. <laughs> oh my God. One day, a fish was asked how it looks like to be interesting. And the fish said, I've never known. Why are you asking me about that? But one day it was taken out for a few seconds from the water and he was asked how it felt. Then he knew it. We got a tendency to take things for granted. Yeah. We have seen from the, the lives of Solomon how actually pursuing these things is actually futile and literally chasing a wind. How much can we ask ourselves, am I free from this? Do I really take my joy from the Lord or from the things that I have or that I'm planning to have or I, things that I wish I had? How do you yourself? You know? God knows how thirsty we are in our life, how hungry we are, how we actually want fulfillment, happiness, joy in our life. He knows how hungry we are for these things. And he's not ridiculing us for these things. But the thing is, you can have them without thinking them as a source of your happiness. Yes. May not that bad dealing comes to you because you are so ignorant by taking them as a source of your joy. Yes. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 2 and 3, it says, Those who thirsty, those who hungry, 
please come to me. Do not just weigh your many for things that are worthless, empty, not nourishing, not satisfying, he says. Here others said, incline your ears unto me. You know, why God is asking us to incline our ears to him? Because there are many voices which actually promise us to give us happiness. There is a big noise out there. If you want to take the right approach, incline unto God and talk to him. And he will give you the source of fulfillment. And he said, there is wine. There is honey. There is everything you need. They all represent about his life, by the way. Probably we are consulting to a wrong source. Jesus also proved this point. Do not waste your money on perishable food. And I always say, we eat when we live, but we don't live to eat. Yes. If we are having that in mind, we're lost. We're lost. We're just barely animals. Not people who are actually created to reflect his glory, his joy. So, how many of you really see your ordinary life, your day-to-day -day life? Even when you eat, you eat for the glory of God. Yes, we glorify God when we eat by acknowledging that he is the source of everything that we have. But also, we do, we eat and do his purpose. We eat in order to do his will. That's why Paul told us not what to eat, but how to eat. The reason that we're eating. No wonder Jesus said, you know, it was in the lunchtime whereby he was preaching the gospel to the Samaritan woman. And the disciples actually came back following having some food for him to eat. And they asked him if he ate. But the thing is that he was already full. Why? He said, I had a food that you know not. For him, eating the food and doing the will of God was synonymous. That's why my meat is to do the will of God. They ate and strengthened to do what? To satisfy your hunger? To get a pleasure from the food? No. To do his will. You must have read the story of Elijah, who was actually chased by Jezebel. She gave him literally a wild treat to kill him. And he took a day's journey. And eventually he got tired and slept. But the angel of the Lord came with the food and something to eat and something to drink with. But he slept again. Why? Because the very motives that he was eating the food was wrong. It was to satisfy his hunger. 
Yes. And next time, the angel didn't want to miss that. And he preached first about the mission that he was about to take before he ate the food. Because you have a long journey to go, please rise and eat. Rise up and eat. I often say, if you are eating without purpose, just to sleep, what you're going to be ending up is with a big belly, nothing else. But when you eat with a purpose, you can be able to go to the mountain of God until Korev at the word says. He reached to the mountain, which actually took him 40 days and 40 nights. Okay. I think there are medical doctors here, right? I think Dr. Gava is one. Uh, how long can a food can stay in our stomach? What? Eight hours maximum. He's generous. I'm going to talk to him after the service. <laughs> yeah. Eight hours. If it was not for the divine intervention, how come a person traveled without being tired, mounting a mountain, remember, for 40 days and 40 nights? Amazing. When we change our motives, the reason that we are eating, supernatural things happen. The thing is, we are good at narrating supernatural things, but we don't live that supernatural life because it takes the life of the cross. Yeah. So God is not actually forbidding us from not having these things but not having them as a source of our joy and happiness. Yes. You remember the story of Israel, who actually were under captivity for 70 years in the, in the land of Babylon. Back then, there wasn't any temple at all. There wasn't any worship. They were actually far from scriptures. And there is no scripture, scripture reading at all. There is no meditation. The relationship really happened to be literally cut off. But following the return, they actually happened to be listening to the word of God. You just found this verse in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 10. You know, following a long-standing service, they were supposed to be eating their lunch. And Nehemiah was inviting them to enjoy the delicious food and the sweet drink. And they were all crying, having a different mixed emotion, probably meeting God and his word for the very first time after so long wait, coming to their land that they were envisioning for so long. And they were nostalgic about it. And they were crying. And their brother, Nahman, actually told them, don't cry. It's a, a joyful day. And say something amazing. That could be a profound message for every one of us. Don't cry. Just enjoy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Oh, hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Strings. 
where do people need strings? Two things. We need strings where our ability to meet the current problem is less than the, the situation that we face, or when we normally get weakened in order to perform what we usually perform. And that string basically comes from the Lord. The Bible says, let the weak say, I am strong. That looks funny, to be honest. And somehow, psychologically speaking, delusional. But you're not, because you're functioning in a different reality. Oh my God. That's why the Bible says, faith is a substance. Wow. Faith is a substance. And the original translation, a derby translation says, faith substantiates. What does it mean? For example, if I'm a, if I'm a blind person, I can't appreciate color. Why? Because I don't have a faculty to substantiate that item. If I'm deaf, I couldn't appreciate music, not because it doesn't exist, at least it doesn't exist for me. Because I don't have a faculty to substantiate me that. But if there is a faculty for us that could actually substantiate the reality of God called faith. Not faith in faith, faith in God and in his finished work. So, when the weak says I am strong, he is not getting delusioned. Yes. There is another reality that he sees that others can't see. <laughs> yes. There is a food that I ate that he don't know yet. You are not having that experience yet. Oh my God. I hope you get a message after the service. That is a strength that they had. Paul advised us in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 4 rejoice in the Lord. Again, rejoice in the Lord always. Paul offended me, by the way. Let me tell you. He offended me because. He hasn't considered the life situations that we're living in. How does it appeal for a typical Ethiopian, a poor man like me, who've been living in the situations that we're living, especially for the last five years? It has a different meaning. My parents, my own very family, have been literally in the place of war for the last five years. Whenever they call, I always ask, what would happen today? Sometimes I refrain from picking the phone, but I try to call them anyways. Did Paul consider this when he tell us, <laughs> you know, rejoice, rejoice. If Paul says this, rejoice always, even in the midst of these situations, he must have something different to show us that we haven't seen it before. Yes. Even in the midst of suffering. Oh my God. So, it should be a different kind of joy 
Not what the world knows. Not the world is trying to tell us. Not even a psychologist trying to tell you. Not even a pop psychologist pumps into you. It must be something different. Something different. Yes. Rejoice always. Is that possible? It is beyond your mood disorder. <laughs> it's beyond loss and gain. If you ask even who wrote this message, you'll be even more surprised by, by far more than my situation. He was in prison. Oh my God. Can a prisoner say like that? Yes, he does. Why? His joy doesn't come from situations. It's come from the Lord. Why God says always? You know, everything change except God and change itself. I, the Lord, never change. I, the Lord, never change. You change. Circumstance change for good or bad. Do not take your joy from them. Why? They will change. They will change. Yes. Yes. Our nation was getting into a breast of joy five years back. Now here we are. Oh my God. People may change. God never change. He never changed. Oh my God. He is still with us. To change things around. Yes. Our situation may be unpredictable. But he's the most predictable God in the most unpredictable situation. We may have a lot of obstacles. We may have a lot of anxieties, a lot of depressions. I mean, all names of psychiatric disorders that you can think of. But God is there to give you an overflowing joy. The thing is, if you're happy because the thing is removed from you, that doesn't count much. But if you are joyous in the midst of suffering, it must be something different. Not from this world, not from you, not from somewhere that you know. From God. From God. Can we read this part of scripture because it's very important for me and I think for many of us. In the book of Habakkuk, Verse, I mean, chapter 3. Verse 17. When the fig tree does not bear, but there is no grapes on the vines, when the olive tree do not produce, and the field do not crops, when the sheep disappear from the pain, and there are no cattle in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice because of the Lord. God can save you either from suffering or through your suffering. 
You don't say amen for that? <laughs> and nothing is going right for this guy, like we Ethiopians now. Nothing right. Nothing right is happening. And everything literally has failed. Literally has failed. But there is one who can't fail you. That's why God says, rejoice when? When things go right. When things are all right. When things are good. No, all the time. Even this time, yes. Why? Because he is the source of your strength, even in the midst of your suffering. Look what he says. I will be happy because God who delivers me. In the other translation, it says, God is my salvation. What does salvation mean? It's talking about daily salvation from your suffering and from all kinds of things that are actually coming to hurt you but not, cannot harm you because of you. And it says, a sorry Lord is my source of strength. He gives me agility of a deer. You know, a deer can jump in the, you know, in the cliff. <laughs> in the terrain when by you can't be able to make a way. Even in that situation, he will give you the strength that you need in order to negotiate through and come out of it. Praise God. Praise God. I was talking about our country's situation. This is the situation that we're in. So we have a good reason to take our joy from the Lord in order to overcome the situation that we're in. Oh my God. Oh my God. I don't know, the Spirit of the Lord is showing me something important. This is not, this, this was not something that I was ready for. In the book of Psalms, <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord just put it in my heart. It says, from the mouths of children and nursing babies, from mouths of children and nursing babies, you have ordained praise on account of your adversaries so that you might put an end to vindicative enemy. <laughs> babies cannot sing. They don't understand song very well. Do they get even the message? But they have something that we don't have one. They're pure in their motive. The soul's motive is so pure, can see the Lord. You know, he prepared a song to be sung by babies who can't even understand the message in order to revenge enemies. Oh my goodness. The enemy that we are, we are faced by are going to be revenged by babies, by children. Yes, because whenever we bring joy to the Lord, we start to get that overflow. In the midst of this, when we praise God, oh my God, the joy of the Lord will come out. Yes, and the Lord was telling me last night, 
you know, the joy that is coming to heaven stays silent when Christians are suffering because we tend to cry because we think crying can open doors. But the other way, is, the, the other way around is true. One day, I was asking the Lord to give me something. Even I got a scripture for it to support my entreaties. It says, delight yourself in the Lord your God, and he shall satisfy the desire of your heart. What a timely word. But I missed it anyways. And I was praying and praying. Nothing happened. And the Lord told me, you reversed the word. You reversed the word. What did I do? What I did was delight you, yourself in the Lord your God. No, no. You shall get the desire of your heart. So, got it. Many of us are complaining because our joy does not come from God. It's the things that God gives us. And time and time again, it is proof that they can't give. And I remember in my childhood, uh, whenever there was a program for us to get uh, some clothes and shoes, that was one of the happiest days in my life back then. Back in the old days. But the thing is, after three days, after I play with it and get dirt and so and so on, that feeling is gone. That makes me angry though. The same with big things that we're dreaming today. Because our true joy basically comes from God. So, what is God trying to tell us? You can pursue happiness, but not the way you used to do by pursuing God. Oh my God. Even the very things that you're so worried about. I remember in the book of Matthew, chapter six, I mean chapter six, Jesus was talking about how we worry about our clothes, our food, and everything that we actually use on daily basis. And we had a legitimate reason to be angry. I mean, Worried about these things, right? Because after all, they are consumable items on daily basis, right? Even for those things, he says you have to reorder your life. By doing what? Seek his kingdom and righteousness first, and these things shall be added unto you. I mean, verse 33. Okay, what is in the kingdom? According to the book of Romans, chapter 14, verse 17, it says what? The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It is what? Peace, righteousness, and joy in what? Now we substantiate, right? That joy is joy in the Holy Spirit. Remember, God lives in us in two forms. One is in the person of the Holy Spirit. The other is in the living word. That's why the Bible is written word of God. But when he is revealed, 
He become a living word of God within us. Praise God. These are the godly things that actually can satisfy us, which can be a source of our joy. <laughs> no wonder Paul said in the book of Ephesians, do not be drunk with wine. Why? Because it's departure. What does it mean? A waste. Why? It's a waste of money because it doesn't bring the satisfaction that it promises. By the way, people can drink in two ways. One is as a coping mechanism for the depression. And the other is to maximize a kind of satisfaction that they don't naturally have. But they don't get both. And the worst, is, the worst is they are spending a lot of money on things that are so unworthy of it in the first place. You know. So, what we should be engaged at is in, in the pursuit of God, not in the pursuit of happiness. Why? Because it is failed. It has failed. Solomon told us, experience has told us, Scientists have told us why, why it's so commercialized by self-help writers, by pharmaceutics, that we're going to be having a mood enhanced. Because they are living by it. Why should you blame them? Those who are taking medicine for it, please don't stop as a result of my preaching. Yes. We need to have a specific conversation if you have to do if you have to do that. Yes. So God wants us to be satisfied by his joy. And he doesn't want us to be in a hunger mood as well. This is a secret. Why? Because a hungry person never chooses. That's why we are advised not to show up when we are hungry. Esau. A brother of Jacob was shopping when he was hungry. And the thing is, he commercialized an amazing reality community for Mr. Namilwaden in Amharic, Mr. and Mr. Odalawakatami. So I should, I should really reorient my relationship with Mr. Yeah. For a single meal. Next us Oh. <laughs> oh my God. He was in a hunger mode. So he sold his birthright to his own brother. I don't want to get into the detail. But the Bible, using his life, warned us not to be like him. Why? Because he was fornicator. It is uh, a King James Version described the person's behavior as fornicator and profane. Fornicator is a woman who is never loyal to a person, but for the one who pays her the highest. A profane is someone who is accessible, not in a positive sense, but in a bad sense, accessible for everything. Yes. So don't be in a hunger mood. So what should it be like? What is the kind of spiritual posture that you should always assume. Oh my God. To be filled with God. To be filled 
we spend very the Bible in the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 7, it says, A full soul lots on honey, but a thirsty soul even <laughs> is a sweet, even a bitter thing is sweet for an empty soul. Oh my God. It's dangerous to be empty. Very dangerous. Look at the comparison. A full soul and an empty soul. A thirsty soul. That's why the Bible says, do not be in a hunger mode. If you are thirsty, come to me. Because he is the one to fill us. He is the one to fill our life. So what we are talking is not a doctrine. It is a life reality. It's a life, life reality. You know, once a devil changes your taste, you start to accommodate so many things. You are acceptable to adultery. You are acceptable to, you know, all kind of evil things. Part of my question gets answered, by the way, when I read this scripture. And we're so puzzled. People I know happens to be violent. People we used to pray together. They are preaching us another gospel now. What's happening to them? Ask it. <laughs> Their taste is being changed. You know, I was, I was sick from COVID-19. The first thing that, that COVID did to me was it changed my taste. And I was asking my wife uh, to cook the best cook that, I mean, the, I mean, the best food that she can. And how much she put in, how much better she put in, how much, you know, spices that, you know, the sauce had, I couldn't have the taste. The problem was not the food. The problem was with my taste. You know, with some people, when you're making conversation, you'll be troubled. Why? Because their taste is so completely changed, you can't speak the same language. Oh my God, may God keep you from such a dangerous life. So, to this effect, I'm also to finish off. To this effect, the word of God, let me read a final scripture and I will close the session. It's in the book of Psalms, verse 119. I mean chapter, sorry, verse. And verse 103. He says, your words are sweeter in mouth than honey. Your words are sweeter in mouth than honey. Where is our taste lies? Where does our taste lie? In the mouth, right? In our tongue. You know, the very reason our taste that we hear, if something is not tasty, or according to the taste that we want to experience, we can easily spit it out. But once we consume it, it does its job. So here, the word of God says, 
you know, your words are sweeter. Oh my God. Let God's word transform us so that our taste may be permanently changed so that we may not be for something else. You know, Jesus once upon said, once upon a time said, I am consumed by the zeal of your house. You know what the word consume means? When something is consumed, it can no longer be useful for something else. Oh, hallelujah. When God's zeal consumes you, you cannot afford to be for something else. One day, a brother who is a drunk one, who's been persuaded by the pastors and church leaders not to drink anymore, you know, he was not a believer though. So, because he was losing a lot of things as a result of that. He was told by his neighbors you not know, to do so, but he kept on doing so. One day he received Christ as his personal savior. But as a family culture, they also served wine on the table. And everybody was expecting him to drink. But that person said no that time around. What happened, they asked. My boss inside said no. Because his taste was changed. His taste was changed. Oh my God. When you are changed by the taste of God on permanent basis, you cannot serve anything else. May change, may God change your taste permanently. That's why the word of God says, oh my God, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What does it mean? Just having a little portion of it and trying to experience God. No, 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 no. Consuming God in his entirety and you don't have to work a lot in order to prove that God is both to you and to other people. Please stand on our feet.